I'm sort of paranoid. There's an army of slugs trying to take over the world, and my brother's one of them. A controller. You ever hear this saying that human beings are reluctant to change? I guess they've never met any of my friends before. If you want to save the world, you have to change. When it comes to the Yerks, all we know is that they're trying to destroy us. Everyone we know and our planet. But we're a threat to them. Five teenagers. I know my friends and I can save Tom. I'm going to use Elfango's gift. The power to morph. I realize what's at stake here. It's the total ruin of our planet by the Yerks. And it's scary. Every time I do something, I get a little stronger and I get smarter. I'm scared too. But fear doesn't stop me. Because I'm more afraid of what will happen if I don't do anything. And when I morphed into the tiger, you know, I wasn't afraid for a second. No Yerk was going to stand in my way. Feeling like the tigers changed me. You know, made me confident, stronger. I'm not as afraid anymore. Welcome to Thought Speak, a podcast dedicated to the weekly discussion of K. Applegate's 1996 book series, Animorphs. My name is Coleman. And my name is Mitchell. And oh, do we have a show today. Do we? I didn't say a great show. Didn't say a bad show, but we have a show. No, we've got a really great show. I think so. I agree. Uh, we, have, we have a few things to talk about today. Um, most notably, the book, Animorphs number 10, The Android. But we will get to that. Great book. Gosh, you just you're always dying to do the review first. Well, yeah, I want to spoil the review, basically. Yeah, we'll just move the review section to the opening of the show. Well, you know what? I think people know which books are going to be generally well-liked, and I think The Android is one of the bigger books in the series that most of the fans concur that we all like. So, No way, I hated this book. When we get to, you know, Atlantis book, um, that's one I guess I'll save my opinion for the ending. Try not to spoil that one, because I've never read that book before, and I hear it's so bad. I hear it's bad, too, but I love Atlantis and everything to do with Atlantis, so... Yeah, I know, your stupid water-themed Yu-Gi-Oh deck <laughs> made me cry. <laughs> uh, this, uh, this is what this show really is. It's a slow revelation... Of how nerdy we are? <laughs> We're just dropping little hints throughout the rest of the podcast, and leave it up to you listeners to decide... If you really like us. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so you had uh, you had something you wanted to bring up here at the top of the show. Is this the top of the show? Is, yeah, it's the top of the show. The beginning is the top, end of it would be the bottom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the top. So at the top of the show, you wanted to uh, bring something up. Well, not so much wanted to as this is all I can come up with. I mean, <laughs> it's... Running out of anamorph-related material here, but um, <laughs> in the in the back of your book, I'm assuming you get the same thing as I do. It's a uh, a page that goes along with the uh, rest of the stuff that we find there with the the typical mail order of the books. Which did anybody ever really do that? I I would I could never imagine cutting this back page out of my book and like sending sending away for it. Wasn't well, that kind of like? 
And it's, that's what they do for like Jump in Japan, isn't it? Um, like reader reviews and stuff. I guess so. Um, and I'm assuming maybe some people did this, um, but the books were always very easily available to me. Um, and plus, I am so OCD that I would never, never cut anything out of a book. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, so, oh, so yeah, so the the this particular book includes a uh, little page that says uh, "You got morphed," and it's a uh, "You got morphed," <laughs> "You got morphed," fool. It's uh, I guess a contest they had in the late nineties um, to submit a picture, and it looks like they kind of morph you like they do on the covers of the books, and it's some kid morphing into a polar bear, and um, I guess. It says, what animal would you most want to morph into and why? Which is a question that we keep rehashing on the show. <laughs> uh, and uh, this kid's response was, a polar bear roaring through the Arctic. I believe the polar bear represents pure strength. That's I believe his mom wrote that for him. And sent <laughs> that's, it in. that's from Eric A., age 12, winner number two of the Get Morphed contest. He didn't even win. No, what? Man, we gotta we gotta get to the bottom of this. Who is winner number one? Either they're from a book we've already ignored and not looked in the back of, or they're from the next book. Yeah, gonna maybe be that would be the case. I don't know. Um, we should track I... down this Eric A. and and ask him if you uh, would still morph into a polar bear. <laughs> and he'll probably be like, "Who the hell are you people? What are you talking about?" No, he'll he'll come to the front of his shack and and say, <laughs> "No, man, I'd I'd morph into a." A young boy again and turn my life around before it's too late. Because he's a meth head now. <laughs> I thought you were going to go with, like, a controller, but okay. No, he's he's had a hard life, Eric A. He's made some bad choices. <laughs> the, uh, the, the picture of him, like, one over from his uh, normal picture looks kind of silly. Yeah, with the nose. Yeah, I see. It's just a darkened nose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's my very, very weak lead into. Well, if you look at the next page, it's actually pretty interesting. Apparently, the next book we're going to review comes out in September. So we'll have to wait for that. Oh, yeah. It'll be until <laughs> September for the next episode at the rate we've been going. <laughs> <laughs> we like to put nice pauses in between each podcast so you can fully enjoy the last one. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Let's get the people, give them enough time to get caught up. I'm sure there's yeah. someone out there who hasn't listened to our review of the Predator. <laughs> um, one more thing. Uh, the the last page in this book uh, is the the actual write-in page where you cut it out and send it off or whatever, and a little census or whatever. But it just surprised me that they liked the inside cover art of the first Megamorphs book so much <clears throat> that they keep reusing it as art in these back-of-the-book reader surveys. <laughs> I'm not so sure it's a matter of they liked it so much. I think it's that that's some of the only official Animorphs artwork they had to work with, so they just used it. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've gotten better fan art for our podcast from, <laughs> from fans than they had in this early Animorphs Well, come on, think uh, about series. this. They were working with 90s computers. I mean, you know how hard it was to do things with 90s computers? Oh, yeah. They probably made this on... DOS paint or something. <laughs> they booted up the Acer computer and went to work. Could have been. Yeah. Um, you wanted to talk about uh, we've got we've got some early reviews of our previous episode. <laughs> we are our controversy surrounding. We can't 
We here at the ThoughtSpeak World Headquarters cannot get away from controversy, no matter how hard we try. I try to, I, I try to run straight into it. <laughs> Apparently, according to some objective listeners, quote-unquote objective, um, we were a little harsh on the last book, and specifically Cassie and her involvement in the last book, and just, just the last book in general. Yeah. Uh, we disagree. <laughs> we're called unprofessional. <laughs> I know most podcasters would fear their listeners and their audience uh, and and turn tail and go change their reviews uh, real quick. Don't, before don't try to make this into it. like a power struggle, like we're fighting no, we're, man or something. I'm, I'm turning this into like a noble uh, a noble deed. We, we stand our ground in the face of our audience. <laughs> no, uh, what happened is actually just at the time we're recording this episode, we've had our previous episode posted for about a day and a half, two days now. And uh, just a couple of early commenters have pointed out that we are uh, particularly a little bit more harsh about that book than some of the others that we've read so far. And I don't think it's a big deal, but... Well, here's, here's where we're coming from. Just, just so you know where we stand. We are being particularly hard on Cassie because we find it hilarious. Uh, and she's making some really dumb decisions and stuff. And I'm pretty sure we're going to turn around when she gets some of the better storylines here coming up. Yes, yeah, it's, so, it's just a matter of her character being so underdeveloped at this point that to spend her next entire book on a skunk side plot seems like a waste. And, you know, honestly, we did not enjoy the last book. I don't. I, we didn't like how it was paced. We didn't like how it was structured and plotted out. And it no, was just a mess. And you know what? You know? I, I thought a little bit more on that. And I, I think what it comes down to is... Um, whether or not, when you're setting out to read this series, if you're going to stick with just the books that matter, or if you are specifically interested in reading all the books. Because if you want to read the entire series, then yes, this is one you'll have to go through. And I even think that if you're in that mindset where you're going to read every book in the series, you'll enjoy this one. But um, as far as importance to the overall canon goes, uh, The Secret... Not so much. And it's just it's just a matter of I love the series. I think it's great. I think it's gonna have amazing discussions and there's tons of books within it that we've already loved and praised and uh there's gonna be plenty more. Even even a lot of the ghost written ones I think we're gonna really enjoy and really enjoy talking about and get a lot of good conversations out of. But if a book is lackluster or we're not enjoying it or I couldn't even get through the notes writing it because it was so tedious we're going to say that and we're going to review it as such because that's that's the entire point of this podcast is to have lively fun discussions on a book series as adults that's you know written for middle schoolers even though we think it's uh has a lot of elements that are for anybody uh some of them you know maybe they were just in a rush to write that book or they didn't plot it out as well or someone else had their hand in it i don't know i it didn't work for me and i'm you know i'm i think it's fine that we talk about that and say that you know it's it's almost funny because they followed up one of the most, you know, boring, nothing happens overall to the plot kind of book with this book, the one we're talking about tonight, The Android, where absolutely so much stuff <laughs> happens that affects the plot and is important. I mean, we get an entire new species introduced in this uh, book 
And, and it's not like a throwaway one book series. Uh, or No, it is, it is one of the best reoccurring uh, species through this series. I mean, I put them up there with Vandalites. I put them up there with the Elimist, in, well, even above the Elimist in the sense that Eric is constantly affecting the plot. He brings them half their most important uh, most half their most important missions. Yeah, that is a good point. He he will start to appear in um plenty of books in the future even if he doesn't play a key part. I mean, a, a lot of times uh you know, they just mention him saying something or sometimes yes, he'll actually put in a little appearance and tell them something, but um yeah, he's he's a huge key player from here on out. He's a humongous key player in the end of the war. So, I I I this is definitely a much bigger plot point than just, you know, adding a side uh, species. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and with that said, I think we can dive straight into the uh, review, would you say? If we are putting down the pitchforks and torches that our fans left behind from last week, then sure, let's get into it. <laughs> you, you think they're out to get us or something, don't you? I hate our fans. <laughs> and I'm sure they'll hate you after they hear this. <laughs> no, I'm, I'll edit that part out. But, no, I love our fans. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta leave that in just for the sheer hilariousness of it. <laughs> okay, well, now uh, now I think we can get into our discussion of book 10. Oh, now because you say it. When I say it, we can't get into it. When I say it, you gotta add more and more. And now we'll get into our discussion of... these things then you just attack me right now so some of you are still human this thing doesn't want to show itself it wants to hide inside an imitation it'll fight if it has to but it's vulnerable out in the open if it takes us over then it has no more enemies nobody left to kill it and then it's one So, like I mentioned before, tonight we are talking about uh, Animorphs book number 10, The Android. This is a Marco book. As such, he graces the cover, transforming into a lovely <laughs> wolf spider. I'm sorry, I was just looking at the cover of the book. It totally looks like Marco's just about to take a dump yeah. in the clouds. <laughs> I, I, I realized that myself. And um, this is one of the more creepy covers that I don't really like staring a whole lot at. It's weird. Yeah, he's wearing his weird sweatpants. You know what I realized as I was staring at all the covers the other day? All of the clothing, or at least most of the clothing that these kids are wearing on these covers, are all very, very generic, one-color t-shirts. Um, and actually, it kind of looks like, if you look at Marco, if you look at his neckline here, um, this is going to sound really stupid, but... Uh, I was uh, doing some modeling for a catalog uh, for my college once. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that I, about There's you. no way you can segue into that. <laughs> True story. 
doing some modeling for my college catalog. And um, the, the, the wardrobe people come in because they need to hide what you're actually wearing. They can't let you show your brands or whatever. So they give you very generic one color uh, uh, shirts or sweaters. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they'll even make you turn them around to the backside so that I guess nothing shows through or something. I, I don't know. I don't know what the purpose is, but it looks like Marco is wearing one of these shirts that they made uh, the model turn around. Hmm. And now you know stuff that you didn't really need to know. I know fashion industry inside <laughs> knowledge now. Yeah. By the way, did you hear Fear has a new na- a new name? It's Yerk. It's almost as if you read that right off the front. Go ahead and read the back for us, would you? When Marco runs into his old friend Eric, he doesn't think too much of it. He's got a couple of more important things to do, like helping to save the world. But then Marco finds out Eric's been hanging with the kids at the sharing. And he starts to think that something just a little weird is going on. So Marco, Jake, and Axe decide to morph and check old Eric out, just to see if he's been infested with a Yerk. The good news is that Eric's not a human controller. The bad news is that Eric's not even human. Spooky. Two things about that. The entire first paragraph happens in about a minute's time in the book. <laughs> right, yeah, that that is literally like chapter one. <laughs> no, no, I mean, I mean it happens... He's got a couple more important things to do, like helping. Okay, A, it's just it's just completely incorrect to what actually happens. <laughs> and B, he doesn't run into him. He's a dog, and he sees him. Right. Well, they they, they paraphrase and they summarize. <laughs> it's just yeah, it's just weird. And I'm sick of them using four ellipses after, you know, they're trying to be mysterious on the back of these books. You only use three. You only <laughs> do use they, four. Do they do that every time? Every single time. Oh, well, you know four. what's funny? They did it in between. Uh, Fear has a new name, dot, 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 Yerk. Yeah. Yeah. What's going on? It's like they have their, it's not only their own font. It's they have their own universe of English grammatical rules. And what's the deal with those clouds? What's the deal with ellipses? (laughs) Anyway, so. So that's the back of the book. That is the back of the book. Should we it open the book? <laughs> incorrect and worthless. No, we're not going to open the book. We wrote down notes. We don't have to read it. <laughs> no, you have to open the book, Coleman, because uh, right underneath the front cover is a scene straight out of the book that is illustrated here, and it's pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. Well, I disagree with their what? with their choice of how Eric's android body looks. It's not how it's described, but sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I guess that's a good point. Yeah, but you gotta remember the people designing these covers never read the books. <laughs> you know what? Though I disagree with not only that artwork, and I, I don't mean to spit in the face of the many talented people out there on the internet, but I have yet to see a uh, chi representation in fan art that is even close to what's described. Really? Wow. The gauntlet has been thrown down. People basically just draw a robot dog, and they're like, look, it's Chi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, and you know, as an artist, I, I could see how that would pass, but uh, apparently nothing's up to Coleman's snuff. Nope, nope. Uh, I mean, it talks about their ivory coating mixed in with their jet black metal, and you know, where's that? Where's that fan artist? <laughs> I don't know. I, I haven't, I guess... Uh, scoured the internet looking for chi fan art so i i can't really make a comment as to the quality of fan art out there but all that um, all that visor 2 and eric the chi fanfic out there and not one decent representation what visor 2 and eric fanfic I just made that up 
Oh. I'm just saying. I'm just, I'm <laughs> okay. just saying. I was like, whoa, dude, I totally missed that relationship. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's subtly woven throughout the book series. You catch up on it. Anyway, so, okay, so the plot of the book. Ah, Everything yes. starts with a haircut. Yeah, uh, as we've said, this is a Marco book. Oh, hey, another interesting thing. No, we're not even getting to the story yet. The the dedication <laughs> page, you know, where Michael's always there. Yeah. On this one, we've got for Eric King and all the fans. I I saw that. What do you think so, that means? Is there a real Eric King that you know this character is based off of? Maybe her, you know, nephew or something. Oh yeah, that's possible. I don't know. Us authors are always, uh, you know, naming uh, characters after people that might have inspired them so yeah i'm just saying you know you'll have, you may have to deal with that someday you know you're sitting there at your desk and ready to write devil ash days book four and the make-a-wish foundation calls and says hey little Larry king would like to be a character in your book <laughs> would like to be a devil <laughs> can, can you make it happen and you of course say no your artistic integrity is too high for this child's request yeah and then i hang up and i go eric king Good name. Uh, So anyway, this book starts out with, as you've mentioned here, Marco uh, talking about his new haircut, which is, you know, actually pretty funny. Um, However, what's not funny is the five pages of recap we've got here. Well, this at least splits it up a little bit because it's like two or three pages of recap mixed in with uh, him convincing Jake to let them go to a concert as dogs. And then uh, there's like two or three more pages of the recap right after. No. Yeah, I know. I know. He, this is definitely way better uh, <clears throat> paced and, and mixed up than the uh, previous recap from the secret, which was it's hard. We got the, it's because we got the best narrator in the series. Hard Marco, recap. Marco can recap anything to me. I'm perfectly fine. Recap. Yeah, and I mean, Marco's even got a little bit of extra recap to give you because he's got to talk about his uh, freaking mom. <laughs> Every book. It's a secret recap. <laughs> None of the other Animorphs can know. Kind of, yeah. But, um, yeah, this is a little bit better uh, interspliced once they get past the uh, recapiest of the recap. That is a little weird that Marco is writing about his mom, who he won't tell the other Animorphs about, but he's telling us as perfect strangers reading his diary. Well, what can I say? Me and Marco, we tight. <laughs> Yeah, so Marco gets a haircut. We do some recapping. <laughs> As I said, um, Marco and J- Marco wants to go to a concert. He convinces Jake. Oh, by... not just any concert, my friend. This is Let's... this is Offspring. This is Nine Inch Nails and Alanis Morissette. There's a bunch of other bands too. He said, but Offspring, yeah, is the main one. Yes, and you know what's funny? They don't actually, at least in my copy, it it, it they don't use Alanis Morissette's last name. They only call her Alanis. Maybe she was going through a phase where she didn't go by both names. It is possible, but I I don't know why they put, you know, the other two band titles in there. But uh, Alanis Morissette, they didn't want to use her full name. I think this is when uh, Alanis Or it could have just been Marco, you know, talking like a kid and (laughs) being super informal. (laughs) No, no, I think it's Alanis Morissette at the top of her game, and you don't even need to say anything else. It's Alanis. We know who you're talking about. That is that is kind of true. I don't know many Alanises. We're talking about God here. All I know is Alanis Lannister. 
<laughs> that was Alanis Morissette, right? Who played dog? Who played God in Dogma? Yes. Yeah, so I thought. Yeah, yeah. My answer. Um, so yeah, this is awesome, awesome concert. I would love to go to it. Yeah, I'd like to go to as a dog. I've also seen The Offspring, by the way, at Warp Tour. Of course you have. No one's gonna know why I'm laughing, but still. Anyway, but the crew finds an alley to go morph in, right? Not the crew. This is just Jake and. Well, you know they are kind of a crew when they're together. Yeah, but you say the crew, (laughs) and there's an actual team in this book series Uh, that people are familiar with. So okay, fine. Truth is, I just forgot who we were talking about. Do you think uh, Tobias is overhead spying on him because he's got nothing better to do? Oh, most definitely. I'm sure. I like, am I sure. I want to go to the concert. In fact, that uh, as a as a 13 year old boy trapped in the body of a hawk, Tobias has more than likely perched outside Rachel's bedroom window and watched her. Gosh, getting a little creepy there, Mitch. No, uh, no. I mean, he visits her all the time. Why wouldn't he? You know, just hang out there just to just to check if she's home or whatever. I think they're tight enough that he doesn't have to sneak. That's all I'm saying. It wouldn't be sneaking. He's just checking it out. Making sure she's safe. <laughs> Making sure this she's... This is getting cut out. This is way too creepy. They're 12. <laughs> uh, okay, so anyway. Uh, <clears throat> this is oh, this is also Marco's first instance of uh, morphing dog. And he goes he goes in, uh, he goes goes crazy with it. I mean, he, he goes full into happy dog mode, runs out into traffic. Uh, it's, it's exactly what Jake warned him about. Also, uh, it bears... Uh, I might as well Bears. mention that um, Marco's choice in um, dog morph here is uh, is based on what breed is the cutest. He picks Irish Setter because chicks dig the Irish Setter, he says. I wonder whose dog it is. Yeah, they, they don't really point that out. They just say that... Maybe he uh, went to a pound or something. Could be. And found a purebred Irish Setter. <laughs> <laughs> Show me your hottest dog, please. I wish to acquire something the ladies it. would really go for. <laughs> Actually, that'd be a perfectly normal conversation for buying a dog. Um. Anyway, <laughs> so they get to the concert, and not very long into going to the crowd and heading towards the stage, as there, so the band is warming up the not offspring, but no, the, it uh, is the offspring. The offspring starts out, but they're there and they're hanging out, and uh, the offspring starts playing, and that is when they notice. They're, uh, or, or I shouldn't say they, Marco notices a familiar face in the crowd. Well, he notices the sharing flare, flyers on the ground. Yeah. And that leads him to Eric, Eric King, uh, someone from Marco's morbid past, <laughs> um, passing out flyers for the sharing, which that's always sad because we know anyone who's going to be promoting the sharing is probably in deep with the uh, Yerks and such. So yeah, Marco's it's, immediately... Know, it's Chapman-type characters. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so Marco's a little downtrodden by that, uh, as much as you can be while a dog. Uh, but the weirdest thing that happens is when he gets a little closer and you know sees his old buddy Eric, uh, he doesn't smell him. There's nothing to smell. Yeah. Zero scent. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, it's kind of even funny to... Us readers who know already that Eric is a chi. Um, of course, he's coming to pet the dogs, the random dogs that he sees. And uh, when Marco realizes he doesn't have a scent, he kind of backs away from him. And then we cut to, of course, the number one meeting destination for the Animorphs. <laughs> Cassie's barn. 
alleyway? <laughs> random forest? <laughs> it's not random forest. It's the same gargantuan forest all around them. They have random warp points set up in this forest so they can just cut to each place quickly. <laughs> random lake slash abandoned shack slash mall? If they, if they turn this uh, franchise into a proper video game, like, you know, uh, uh, one of those sandbox exploration games, like 90% of the map would just be forest. Oh my gosh, a sandbox Animorphs game would be... You, you wouldn't even have to make any more video games after that. Just keep updating that one. Oh, dude, what if it was like, um, you know, Red Dead Redemption? That'd be so <sighs> awesome. Except, you yeah, know, you'd be morphing animals. <laughs> you would be a horse instead of jumping onto a horse. Yes, exactly. And then you could run through all the forest. Honestly, you would. I would geek out. You'd like go to... You'd find Cassie's barn on the map and fly there. And oh, look, that's that's where she changes the bandages on raccoons. <laughs> <laughs> that would, yeah, that would be awesome. Get on it, Namco Bandai. <laughs> Namco Bandai. I don't know. This is a random video game company. But. Um, uh, I was going to say something else real quick too. Oh gosh, what was it? I don't know, sir. Does it have to do with Cassie's barn? Yeah, it was right at this point. Talk about <clears throat> somebody should recreate this entire uh, world here in Minecraft, since that's super popular these days. No, since people we love had... wasting their time. Oh gosh, be careful! Minecraft's become bigger than the both of us. No, I know. I'm, I'm surrounded <laughs> by it on a daily basis working at the school. So am I. My boss's kids are constantly. I, I mentioned. That I played Minecraft for two seconds a long time ago, <laughs> like in one conversation with them, and now all they want they come up to me like, "Hey, hey did you see a single build on Minecraft? I survived, the, you know, the zombies for like three days in this little hole in the wall." <laughs> it's like I don't care. <laughs> all I um, know about Minecraft, I learned from the South Park episode, I, which is a great way to learn about it. <laughs> anyway, in Cassie's barn, uh, they talk about Eric. They talk about his lack of smell. They talk about his. Uh, eh, they don't. They don't go into how Marco knows him just yet, but uh, not really. Yeah, not not deeply here. And um, they're basically just wondering why someone with no natural smell of his own, <laughs> as pretty as that sounds, is <laughs> working for the sharing. And you know, I I think they uh, assume that he's obviously going to turn out to be an enemy at this point. Yeah, and they have a funny little moment where they're like. Oh, how are we gonna how are we gonna find out where he lives? So yeah. we can start checking him out. We should uh oh we should follow him. We should do this, we should do that. And Cassie kills it all and she's Oh, oh why don't no we just look him up in the phone book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually have this dog eared because this was such a great scene. Um they're they're all trying to figure out their various ways and you know, Tobias is like, I can do surveillance from the sky, because remember I'm a sky cam. <laughs> why is Tobias a redneck? <laughs> <laughs> He's not. Um and Rachel, Rachel's like, uh, you know, we could go back and look for clues. Oh, that sounds so Nancy Drew. And Axe's uh, explanation or suggestion here is what I thought was the best. Axe isn't there. Oh, no, no, Axe isn't there, but I mean, <laughs> this is Marco's suggestion concerning Axe. Oh. <laughs> so I guess Marco's suggestion here is the best. He says, maybe Axe can try and tap into the internet and get past all the security buffers and locate him. 
is he even talking about? As someone who's used the internet since 95, what the hell is a security buffer? <laughs> this this is pure 90s computer jive lingo that makes no sense. Oh, it's just like, uh, oh, what was the other day? I saw a video on YouTube of some show that wasn't even that old. It was like from 2005 or something where someone came running into a room saying, they're about to internet, or they're they're attaching the internet to the networks, or no, they're they're networking the internet, or something like out of something stupid like that, combining those two words. Uh, <laughs> no, never heard of it. Stuff. And um, I actually have the uh, very next page dog-eared here too, because this is so good. All their their dialogue um, when they get together like this is it can it can be really good, like in this book, and not so much in the last book. We have. Um, uh, everybody's making fun of Marco's hair. That's kind of a recurring joke throughout this thing. And we've got Rachel call him a, uh, a Wolverine. And then Marco tries to make a comeback to her. And, um... Yeah, well, you're tall. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> a little, it's a little weak comeback. You're, yeah. You're way tall. That's pretty funny. The best thing, though, in this chapter, I think we can all agree, is the fact that Rachel's going to be busy the next day because her dad's taking her to Planet Hollywood. The greatest restaurant ever. <laughs> Did you sign a contract with them when I wasn't looking? <laughs> yes. ThoughtSpeak represents Planet Hollywood and all its associated affiliates. Um, no, you never go to the Planet Hollywood? I have been to Planet Hollywood, yeah. Oh, we used to go every time we'd go to like Myrtle Beach or uh, to Florida or something and uh we you know we one time we went there and it was being dedicated by um arnold schwarzenegger and sylvester stallone that because they they owned the planet hollywood franchise franchise. yeah yeah Yeah, i know um very interesting but uh (laughs) we have uh next cassie tobias and marco are the ones who are kind of lumped together here to go and investigate eric further I think they specifically put them together because they never do anything together. Those three. Um. Well, Marco and Tobias have had some, some really funny interactions. No, you're in the talking past. about that one time they were like scooping out the mall, but for the most part, those three don't interact as much as some of the others. Well, yeah. I, okay, that's true. That is true. Um, I think Marco and Tobias is is kind of a better pairing than say Marco and Cassie or, um. Tobias and Cassie, which was kind of weird in the last book. Or Rachel but... and Cassie, or Jake and Cassie. No, no, no. Rachel and Cassie and Jake and Cassie are good <laughs> pairings. I like those pairings. Um, Stop shipping over here. <laughs> it's not shipping. It's just <laughs> deciding who you like to read about or, or yeah. who has the best interaction. I like to read about them too, Mitch. It's okay. <laughs> Cassie and Tobias for life. Cassie, Rachel, <clears throat> and Jake. the scene cuts to uh marco in school trying to write his english paper and uh even this is a really funny scene it it just seems like marco they give him so much more fleshing out and and more attention to his little individual scenes here wouldn't you say yeah yeah i would would 100 percent agree this uh him him and uh him and jake here joke a little bit about his topic for his uh English paper. Yeah, this is the next day at school, by the way. Yeah, I said that. I said it cuts to Marco at school. He's working on his English paper. And, you know, Jake swings by, obviously, to make small chat and to also uh, try to figure out what they're doing with Eric still. A lot of discussions about Eric here that are 
not repeating themselves, but it's just constantly, what are we going to do about Eric? How are we going to find Eric? How yeah. are we going to do this? <laughs> Who is Eric? What is Eric? What's Eric doing? <laughs> Does Eric like me? <laughs> you think you want to go to the movies with me? Uh, yeah, and this is, by the way, the point where um, Marco mentions, um, he doesn't. he's not telling anyone this, he's, he's kind of writing it, he's telling us that um, he barely knew Eric, you know, he said he used to say hi to him in the hallways or something in school. Um, but one thing that always stuck with him was the fact that Eric came to his uh, mother's funeral and looked particularly troubled, and that just kind of always stuck with him. He said he looked kind of Marco. angry, like he was shaking his head. Yeah, yeah, he definitely had some bad vibes coming from him. Yeah, so uh, after that discussion, uh, we cut to not everyone flying, but Marco uh, is flying back to his house. Uh, Actually, what happens here is uh, Marco goes up to the roof of the school after turning in his report, by the way, which I think he says he gets a B on. Good for you, Marco. He goes to the roof and uh, morphs Osprey. Yeah, he he takes off and he makes some joke about how kids wish they could do this, you know, fly away from school. And, um, he meets up with Tobias and is somebody else there? No, this is just him and Tobias at this point because he's yeah. he's going to take over for Tobias, who's been watching Eric all day. And yeah, um, so he's heading towards that neighborhood and they're flying over top, and they see Eric running from. Uh, a bunch of bullies. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, you skipped over one thing that I wanted to point out is that uh, almost immediately when, when Marco gets up into the air and finds Tobias, Tobias uh, instantly warns him, like, look out, because uh, a peregrine falcon like Jake's Marth comes swooping at him and uh, almost kills him, which is just a lovely reminder about <laughs> how hard Tobias's life is. In my headcanon, this was Jake. <laughs> it was Jake coming to get him. <laughs> um, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a good scene, too, because, you know, Marco's talking about how awesome it is to fly and how great of a time he's having and how, you know, much they enjoy when they can morph birds and fly. And then he's almost immediately attacked and would have definitely died had Tobias not warned him. Yeah. That or so. it would have been a repeat of uh, Rachel's little amnesia incident. <laughs> <laughs> so now they're flying overhead. Uh, yes, now Eric the, is Eric's uh, neighborhood. being bullied or whatever he's doing. Yeah, Eric's, Eric's running from the bullies, and as he's running and they're conveniently watching, uh, he trips into a bus, gets hit by a bus, trips into traffic and slams into the side, and uh, for just a moment, his normal body disappears, for lack of a better way of saying that, and they notice like this robotic crazy you know shell of a body underneath um what they determined to be some sort of hologram yeah it, it you know it flickers and there's a robot of some sort under there or something metal a metal Dog man. robot tin man <laughs> uh so that obviously wigs them out and they confirm with each other that they're not crazy and they both saw it and, and mostly uh, they confirm that it's not human yeah definitely not <laughs> considering the human part disappeared i think that's uh not something I can do. Totally. And then we've got Marco going home to, you know, immediately call Jake to kind of report what he's seen here because some messed up stuff. And we get a lovely little scene of, of course, since he's calling Jake's house, he gets Tom answering the phone. And Tom 
immediately kind of makes small chat with Marco and tries to recruit him, as he always does, to the sharing. But this time is a little bit different. This time he specifically mentions that Marco should bring his dad to the meetings. Yeah, and I really like the scene that follows with Jake finally getting on the phone and Marco just flipping out on him. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. As soon as as soon as Tom does hand the phone off to Jake, Marco's like, what is wrong with you? I want to kill him. No, yeah, it's great. He flips out on him and Jake immediately, you know, from living in that environment, I'm sure he's on point with how he talks on the phone. and Yeah, he, he's, he's adding in the uh-huh and yes, you know, to kind of <laughs> fool everybody listening. Until yeah. Marco can cool off. And when he does, uh, we get into one of my little noted sections where Marco, by himself, is thinking, and just, it gets a little dark with oh, yeah. the fact that he's just imagining there is nothing he will not do, nothing that he doesn't even want to do uh, to keep them from getting his father. I mean, he's imagining just killing and maiming and hurting just specifically hurting anyone who would come near his father yeah and he's got is... he's got extremely violent destructive thoughts here and what makes it poignant is it's not just rage i mean it talks specifically about rage but uh it's not just anger because he is while he's thinking these things he's talking about how he knows what path this leads down why you shouldn't think of things like this, why you shouldn't stew in them, and and all these things. At the same time, he coldly just goes back to what he would do to them. And it's the first real glimpse at Marco's role in this war. I know the cold, calculating guy who will do anything to save what little family he has left. Yeah, he's, he's tenacious. I'll give him that. He's tenacious. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's a good word it's, for it. It's, it's, it's moving stuff here. Very dark. Um, and from this, we've got them all meeting up later in the woods. This is what he talked about with Jake on the phone. And uh, Axe, of course, has to make his ever-dramatic entrance, as he does in every book. And I think I love funny. this one because I completely pictured um, like a low-angle shot from the ground. You're seeing like Rachel sitting on a log. Uh, and she's looking in you know, treetops above with sunlight coming in, so you can't really see past them. And Axe just soaring over her because he said it says he jumps over Rachel uh, when he comes in. So yeah, he's he's got mad ups, I guess. He really wants to impress somebody. I'm not sure who. It's funny here because Marco even points out. He says, "Hey, Axe," I said, "very dramatic entrance." <laughs> but this again, this is the third in a row. This is another discussion on Eric and. What's Eric doing? What's going on with that body? Are you sure you saw that? And What's going robot? on with Eric's body? <laughs> <laughs> we need to talk about Eric. <laughs> um, oh, I just wanted to point out real quick that right uh, right before they start their big walk and talk Eric discussion, um, we have this uh, little scene where, where they're meeting up and um, Cassie's kind of interested in something uh, uh, in the ground. It's, it's a den of some sort, an animal den. And um, when they ask her what it is, she says, baby opossums, um, too big for the pouch, not ready to leave the den. Marco's reply to that is, don't tell Tobias, he'll eat them. <laughs> and then we have Tobias popping up saying, I already knew about them. And uh, we even get a little bit of closure here, I think, from the last book, The Secret, where Cassie just kind of shrugs and says, Tobias is a hawk. He has a right to be a hawk. 
And then she kind of looks up Tobias and, and smiles a little and gives a little girly wink, <laughs> I imagine, and says, of course, they are awfully cute. Oh, man, Tobias groaned. Okay, okay, this litter is off limits. Happy oh, now? Man. How great would it have been if after all the events of the last book, Cassie's like, oh, well, he is a hawk. And Tobias swoops down and just starts ripping into him. <laughs> He's like, oh, what, were you expecting me to wait? Snaps the neck of a little baby possum. <laughs> We're about to start our walking talk. I gotta stay. I gotta stay. Uh, <laughs> I gotta stay hydrated as he squishes the blood of one into. No, uh, as you mentioned, yeah, they're walking, they're talking, they're talking about Eric. Um, <clears throat> this is where they're kind of asking Axe, you know, what what Eric might be, and <laughs> Axe just does not have any information for him. He's like, I have no idea. Doesn't sound Yurk. It's not Andalite. I'm assuming it's not human because you're all stupid. <laughs> Interesting note. Uh, Axe does say that it's not one of ours. So Andalites have androids, apparently. We've just never seen them in the series. Ooh. But I bet they're pretty cool. They probably have six legs <laughs> and two, two tails. Ah! <laughs> and 19 <laughs> stock eyes. He's covered in stock eyes. <laughs> head to toe. They built a better species. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's he's not noticing, at least by their description. He he has no idea what they're talking about. Yeah, and it's actually Rachel who suggests, well, it kind of sounds like a robot. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, that's where that hole comes from. But they think of ways where they can get up close to Eric and check out his bod. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and so they, they come up with the idea that, well, that whole lake sharing event is coming up that, uh, Jake's brother was trying to get my dad to go to, so you know, why don't we go there? Check that out. Maybe some kind of morph that's small, but not an insect. Yeah, and X specifically mentions that um, maybe they should use a uh, an animal morph that has different eyes from a human eyes that could see through this thing's holographic this exterior. This humanic ruse. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and you know, Marco just expects. That it's going to be another gross morph. And he's right. He's 100% right. <laughs> and uh, this is how they trick him. Because he says no insects. But they they bring on the spider bro morph. Um, <laughs> yep. Yep. They're, uh, they're drawing straws to see who's going to be morphing spider with Axe. Because Axe apparently has to go on in on the mission to kind of try and ID the, the robot. Yeah. And of course, Marco picks the short straw. Otherwise, the front cover would never happen. Yeah, this is not spoiling anything to say that, you know, Marco's the one chosen to go on the mission. Exactly. Um, and from there... Oh, dude, this is a great scene, actually. There, so much exposition and plot happens just while they're flying places. Because we've got, we've got Marco and Jake flying uh, to the lake, or I guess it's the entire team flying, but they have to fly kind of separately. Um, and anyway, we got Marco and Jake talking about whose bird morph is better. Because Marco brings up, you know, oh, I was attacked by one of your kind the other day. And Jake was like, oh, yeah, serves you right, because I'm awesome. <laughs> it's, just, it's just good, you know, banter. This is really good banter. And Marco is completely wrong in the whole his, you know, he can't really posture as an osprey. Because if you've ever seen an osprey, they're kind of cool birds, but can't beat up a falcon. I mean, they're tiny little things. <laughs> I don't know. He says one on one in a fair fight, an osprey would kick a falcon's butt. <laughs> no, he would. He would lose really badly. 
and Jake would earn the kill he's been trying to get since book one. <laughs> right. Well, they're they're traveling with Axe as well, who uh, kind of interrupts them. And it's funny because he says, is there a special meaning to this conversation that I don't understand? And Marco flat out says, yeah, the meaning is that Jake and I are scared, so we're babbling in a desperate effort not to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is uh, another really important uh I don't know, back lord of the series here, is that Axe mentions that he doesn't like thinking about morphing tiny animals because he's worrying about the rest of his mass. To which Marco inquires, what? And this is when Axe tells him, you know, about their mass traveling to Z-Space when they morph. Do you want yeah, to elaborate it's... on it? Do you want to, you want to talk yeah, about it's, it a bit? It's just, it's just a great piece that we come back to, and I've been waiting for them to bring it up in the series. And uh, just the fact that when you morph something small, whatever's left of your genetic makeup is just hanging out in zero space. And there's, you know, a one in a million chance that all these Yurk and, you know, Zonarak ships flying around in Z space uh, might just, you know, fly into that mass. Yeah. Uh, and just blow it up or disperse it. I don't, I don't know. But. He freaks him out. And, you know, I wonder if this is all just a, a setup to, um, I think it's book 17, I want to say. The next, or not the next, but uh, it's an axe book with him morphing Mosquito on the front. Does that happen in that book? I've never read that book. Oh, you haven't? Um, no. I'm, I read it a long, 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 long time ago, like only once. Um, so, but, yes, that that is basically the plot, is that while morphing Mosquito... Um, they run into something in Z-Space that drags them through. <laughs> I'd like to think that uh, if you found the mass in Z-Space, it's just like a balloon of like guts and just like fluids, and you could like poke it. I don't know. Or do you think it would be just kind of brief or briefly? Do you think it would be kind of broadly human shaped? Or I guess an actual case human-shaped. and light shaped. Because that's all your extra mass. Why wouldn't yeah, it reform but... into the shape of a human in Z space? Well, I I think it takes a it would have to take some weird shape or just a or just a you know a cube of energy or something. I, whatever you're doing to recall this mass, I mean, it could just be a bunch of molecules as a brown blob, you know, because um, your genetic makeup and what forms you and your your DNA. Uh, it didn't seem like that would reform into anything when it's it being put in this placeholder status in zero space. Right. Well, so. I, I don't know. Clearly, we don't have enough information about it at this point. But <laughs> Call it Neil deGrasse Tyson. Have him <laughs> explain this to us. NDT! What do we do? <laughs> He'd be like, what the fuck is zero space? <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah, so after freaking out, you know, Jake and, and Marco... Um, they all manage to land. Uh, Jake kind of peels off and leaves Axe and Marco, who are going on the mission, um, <laughs> sitting in a bush. They're two birds sitting in a bush, waiting for Tobias to give them the all clear for uh, for them to be able to demorph and then remorph into Spider. Yeah, and when they do, uh, you know, we get the usual uh, really, really well done scene of feeling out the new morph's instincts and what it's doing. And uh, Marco actually goes through a very similar um, morph instinct phase that Jake did when he morphed uh, Lizard, minus all the fear and everything. 
but he uh, he runs after. Yeah, a, oh, it's with confidence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with with the predator's mind, he goes after a beetle and nearly takes it out. Yeah, and you know what's weird is that it he mentions specifically that it might have been because of his uh, anger that he was feeling earlier, like he you know wanted to just be a spider real quick and you know kill another creature. Yeah, good thing he wasn't morphed into something larger. <laughs> well, yeah, Axe snaps him out of it pretty quick, and Axe is like, I was just, you know, being a spider. And Axe is like, Marco, I morphed to an identical spider. <laughs> Axe is always uh, there to kind of call the team out on acting sort of stupid with animal instincts. Yeah, he, he has a lot better control over it, even though he's not as good of a morpher as uh, Cassie. He His cold, andalite, Vulcan intellect... Uh, well, I yeah. think it's a matter of that he, he doesn't understand Earth animals anywhere near the amount that Cassie does. Well, no, no, I'm saying, I'm saying that he has better control over the instincts, usually. He usually has a morph under control pretty quickly. Yeah, I don't know. You think maybe he reads about each morph in, uh, in his little almanac before they do it, if they have enough time? No, I think, I think they're just... Uh, I think the Andalite race and especially these warrior cadets and warriors uh are probably trained in morphine as far as what you should expect and they take it i think they take it more seriously and marco morphs a bird and he's like yay i can fly and blah 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 and uh, i think every morph uh is like picking up a gun to yeah the light. you know <laughs> uh, it's a weapon. I, I, I get your point yeah i i think x definitely has a better handle on just the morphing technology than yeah the other kids going into it with their mindset. Uh, once they're spiders, they, they run basically straight into Eric and uh, manage to see through his hologram with their superior spider eyes. Yeah, and Axe is like, yep, he's an android. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think your friend may be an android. It's the scene <laughs> depicted on the, uh, what do we call that? I would call it the se- second cover. The second cover. The cover's cover? No, nope. I'm going to go with second cover. That's what I'm calling it. Because I think if you slapped an Animorphs logo and the words The Android on it, that could be another cover of the book. Yeah, bad one. Well, yeah, but, I mean, <laughs> it could be. Um, and then, uh, oh, yeah, we've got Jake who's uh, hovering around in Flymorph. I don't know where the rest of the team is at this point. I think they're also running surveillance or something. Or they're, no, they're all flies. They're all flies. Well, yeah. they're talking more to Jake. Um, and he mentions that, yeah... Eric looks weird for the fly's eyes, too. And there's even another one of them down there. And just very suddenly, uh, Marco is is snatched and eaten by something. He doesn't know what <laughs> right away. Yeah, Marco's getting a lot of lessons of nature in this book. Oh, dude, Marco almost dies three times in this book alone. <laughs> <laughs> It's, yeah, it's not a good book unless, you know, Marco's about to die. And he gets snatched up by this bird, and he's, you know, he's terrified. He's calling to his friends, and just no one can save him. Like, nobody can do anything. So he's like, screw it, I'm out of here. I I need to demorph. <laughs> it's just demorphing in the neck of this bird. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. See, he's about to die. He doesn't even manage to demorph, like, right away. Like, he is dying, dying. And uh, he, he just has all these memories come flooding through him. And uh, what really manages to snap him out of it and uh, demorph is he sees his mom. He thinks about his mom. Which is what gets him through everything 
in these books. <laughs> Basically. But um, it's just, you know, they're, they're trying to build more suspense and more tension here instead of just... Because, I mean, how many times, realistically, are they going to almost die and then just barely manage to morph out and die? They gotta keep. They gotta keep making it interesting, and I think they succeed here. It is a dangerous game, this Animorphs. Pretty much. Um, so he falls to the ground, and this goes into a scene that I really like, where he fully demorphs into Marco, and looks up and, "Hey, Eric, what's what's going on?" Yeah, he's immediately found by Eric, and yeah. you know right away he's like, "Oh man, I'm screwed." <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's great. It's, it has a. As a whole part, a whole little paragraph of him being like, the Animorphs are done. It, can I get a warning now? Is there anything I can do? Like, it's all ruined because of me. We're all going to die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then some other android girl shows up. Right. Yeah. Um, and asks, asks about, like, who's this kid? And Eric reveals that he knows absolutely everything about the Animorphs. <laughs> and, and Marco's like, oh, I'm really screwed. Uh, but once, you know, when the search party, which I guess there was a search party. Uh, well, I don't think it was a search party. I think it was just, you know, they're, they're yurks and they're on the lookout constantly when they're doing their little sharing meetings. So it's it's more like just people that are lookouts, I guess. But anyway, er, yeah, Eric and Eric and Nothing Jenny. over here. Yeah. <laughs> Eric and Jenny cover for him. And uh, Eric invites him over to his house. You know, they're buddies. Yeah, and he specifically says, you know, you've met an ally today, so. Well, yeah, and it's 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 a really tense scene, and, you know, Marco's trying to act t- tough despite knowing that, you know, there's really nothing he could do. I mean, this guy's got him, uh, he's got their balls in a vice grip. In fact, in fact, I want to say that uh, Marco himself says, I guess we don't have a choice. You have us by the dot dot dot, you have us cold. <laughs> he could have just said short and curlies yeah that, that would have been middle school appropriate maybe classic <laughs> thank you dr cox yeah but uh it's actually a kind of a cool cut when they go to the next scene and it's just you know marco's caught the animorphs could be dead and over and whatever and then it's just marco having lunch with his dad <laughs> yeah well i really like that actually because Marco says, he starts off right away by saying, oh, we talked about it, and we talked about it, and we went back and forth and round and round, but we all decided we had to meet him, because, you know, that's the next logical <laughs> plot thing here. But instead, we're treated to a uh, lovely scene of uh, Marco having lunch with his dad. And, and they wrap up the uh, the plot from the alien with the software. Yeah, yeah, they did. They, they finally gave us closure for the alien. And um, has Marco's dad mentioned that the the software that his good buddy No created, that's Axe, mm-hmm. um, has been mysteriously wiped from their systems. So yeah. it's the and closure leads... I needed. I'm changing my review of the alien. <laughs> <laughs> and that leads to uh, talking more about his dad's new job and in general. And Marco is joking around with them and being like, oh, what are you doing now? And his dad actually gets really uh, tense and, and weirded out by him asking this because obviously he's working on stuff that he can't talk about or, or doesn't want to get into. Yeah, um, we, we get more backstory on uh, Marco's dad and his mom and just everything that happened between them that, that was really good stuff. Um, <clears throat> Marco comes to the realization that his dad is considering taking a military job 
and that is what his uh, mom, Visor One, um, kind of warned him against uh, before she disappeared. Um, yeah, in the dead of night when she took control. Yeah, she said, stay away from the military and they won't get you. But now he's, you know, he's breaking that taboo. He's <laughs> knocking on Satan's door and uh, he's, he's considering taking this military job. And that's why the Yerks want him. Marco has figured this out. Yeah. So they go to this, uh, what could be a disastrous meeting at Eric's house. He's going to hang out with Eric. He could go hang out with Eric, who may or may not be a Yerk and wanting to get us all in the same room right yeah and i like how they leave tobias and rachel surprise surprise outside his backup these two are given so much background relationship development oh yeah there are you insinuating that every time the main animorphs go and do something just rachel and tobias are making out outside um at least not until after book 13 but um no i think i think they got to a point where they're like look we gotta we gotta get over this girl bird thing because uh, you're never going to go human, so let's just let you put your beak in my mouth. I don't know, dude. All, all I'm saying is, uh, yeah, they, they probably chill out and flirt, I guess, since that's all they can do at this point. <laughs> Man, your wings are looking nice today. <laughs> um, yeah, they, they leave him outside his backup. And we've got Jake, Cassie, Marco, and Axe going inside. And uh, they knock on the door, and Eric's dad... Uh, Mr. King kind of takes him in and shows him around and um, it, it seems super normal inside and uh, it's cool here because we get Marco even making a reference to the skunks from the last book. Yeah, always nice to have. Did you catch that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and again, this is why we love the Animorphs is that they're constantly referencing themselves. and They are very books. self-referential. Yes. Uh, but, you know, it, the great thing about this too is there are sweating bullets wondering what's happening and uh what they presume is another android you know mr king is just like oh here's my house there's a living room kitchen <laughs> yeah it's all it's all totally normal um until they you know until he starts leading them down into the basement and this is where we have axe kind of uh demorphing out of caution into his android form because you know which he doesn't want to be trapped in a basement in a human body. Most most unbelievable thing about this scene is not the uh, basement turning into an elevator, uh, <laughs> but the fact that Axe is demorphing from human to Andalite while walking down the stairs. Yeah, while walking down the stairs, right. Not I'm happen. assuming, like, how it happens is, like, a huge growth appears from his back and just kind of starts turning into another set of legs behind him. He's just dragging it down the stairs. <laughs> like, they're all walking <laughs> quietly down the stairs, all tense, and it's just, like, thump. Thump, thump. Axe comes down like a Three Stooges skit. <laughs> yeah, but you know, you know, horses like whenever horses like walk down a slope or anything, oh, yeah. they kind of like trip <laughs> over themselves. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, uh, as you mentioned, the basement turns into a full-on elevator. Wow. I wish I had that in my house. <laughs> uh, how do you know you don't? As Mr. King jokes. Oh. Oh yeah. Ah, wacky. I just made the same joke as the book. That's funny. Without even trying. Good job. Uh, so, yeah, they go There's their giant elevator. <laughs> takes them down into a room that looks like a... Well, no, you get, there's like a, you know, a, a hallway to build the tension of, where are we? What's going to happen? Right. Um, they walk down this long hallway or whatever, and they go into... Now, there's a few different ways you could imagine this. On my reread, I imagined it differently than I've always remembered it. I don't know if that's the case with you. 
But I don't the know. way I always remembered it was a not small, but a reasonably sized, you know, very high ceiling dome like room um, with one huge tree in the middle and then tons of dogs and androids running around. But on this reread, I noticed it's more like a, you know, valley or park. Or, yeah. Well, know. first of all, it's huge. He, he says yeah. it's, it's the size of a football field. Yeah. How many underground gigantic structures do they have under this town, under this city? We got the Yurk Pool. They've got the Chi Hangout. Yeah, the Chi Zone. What do we call it? <laughs> do you think there? Think there was a moment where the Chi were like digging that out, and uh, they actually broke into the the Yurk Pool and attacked and saw, and they had to kill it real quick, and then you know semen over that wall. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Maybe that'd be awesome. I want that book. <laughs> uh, no, 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 but. I don't know why I imagined that when I was younger, but I imagine it as like the single huge tree and it's, you know, maybe the size of half a football field. But this is more like there's trees and there's a river. And yeah, it's stuff. it's basically just a giant underground park that's full of these uh, these these androids and just normal earth dogs hanging out, living in harmony. It's a nice place. Yep. Uh, and he takes them a little further, and an android uh, comes over to him and puts on his Eric skin uh, to reveal himself as Eric. And uh, they get into this nice scene where we get a Man of Steel esque. Uh, oh, he, he puts show. on a, a holographic light show for everybody, <laughs> kind of describing the entire history of the Chi and the Pemalites. These are the uh, two new series to add, or two new species to add. I imagine in the future they ask Eric to like come over whenever they want to like watch a movie. He like projects <laughs> it around them. Eric, project Transformers two. No, abort. <laughs> Why'd you pick the worst movie possible? <laughs> That's why I followed up with abort, sir. Eric, we're gonna see Godzilla. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Um. And wow, yeah, the 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 whole backstory of uh, the Chi and the Pemalites, it's it's a lot to swallow and it's a lot to explain. <laughs> Do you care to summarize? Yeah, it's basically uh, the Pemalites, which is this incredibly peace, peaceful, incredibly old race. Oh yeah, they're ancient dog people. I mean, they're they're people who are like canine based. You know, just that's that's how they're described, and. Uh, they, it says they've been they've been around so long that they've just forgotten the ways of war. They've evolved past it. Uh, so it's like this perfect you know Star Trek utopia, except with dog people. And um, one day, this other alien race came, you know, oh, descended on the planet. You skipped over something. They uh, they also created. Yeah, they built. The, yeah, 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 yeah. They also created their their android toys called uh called the chi which is their word for friend so yeah, yeah they're, they're, they're like their and... super advanced tamagotchis or i guess we already have robot animals but they're nowhere near as advanced as they yeah uh ironically we have robot dogs uh but yeah so they cre- they create the chi who are toys but later on become more like servant slash friends yeah uh, yeah they're, they're still they're kind of they're like... still doing work but you know it's it's like a slave-based society really <laughs> um, it's but, communism it's like it's, uh, it's you know this is this is 1700s america basically um <laughs> but in space yeah, yeah. so <laughs> after you know living peacefully with these chi and 
that she loved them, adore them. They're programmed to just be their best friends and know everything about the culture and everything. And uh, one day, this alien race called the Howlers descend from the heavens and uh, just start wiping the Pimelites out. They don't ask for anything. They don't make any demands. They just start <clears throat> killing them. No, uh, they're like they're like the ultimate evil species, which we'll see again. We will see definitely again. Um, and we know why they killed them. But uh, they just start wiping out the Pimelites in, in droves. And the Pimelites, they have no way to fight anymore because uh, while they've evolved to the point of being peaceful, they didn't think you know, they would ever need to defend against anything else, which is weird because they are spacefaring. They say they have space stations and tons of other stuff, and they've been around so long, they're technologically advanced. You'd think they'd have at least some kind of, like, shield technology or something, but... but yeah, I don't know. Maybe invest in some defenses might have saved them. But I guess they their, their little defense mechanism is that all they can do to escape the Howlers is to flee from them. Um, they are basically the Alderaan of... Uh, of the Animorphs universe. You know, then no defenses, no weapons until the Death Star comes and blows them up. <laughs> right. A couple surviving members of the Pebbleites managed to uh, escape the planet in time, uh, taking with them a, a, I don't know if it's all of the chi, but it's a lot of chi, I guess. And uh, they escaped to Earth, of course, because where's everyone going to go but Earth? Unfortunately, the Howlers are dicks and uh, <laughs> decided biological warfare on top of wiping out the Pimelites was the way to go. And the Pimelites that get away, they're still dying. They're sick with something. So they're not going to make it. And the large amount of chi that they brought with them to Earth are going to be left behind. And the most interesting thing of this whole story is that this was all before man had even, you know, created fire. Well, so. yeah, this is, uh, <clears throat> I think, right around the time of, they mentioned that, that humans were kind of hunters, gatherers at this point. And I think this is right around the time of uh, the domestication of dogs, because they mentioned that <laughs> dogs are basically just dead Pemelites. Well, yeah, the the, Pimel, or the Pemelites, when they died out, the Chi took their essence, yeah, whatever that means, and uh, put it into wolves, because the wolves were the closest thing to dogs um and which i don't they could have put them into bears bears are pretty close to dogs too same family um <laughs> and that would have been way better domesticated bears running around uh our lives would be great yeah but the chi weren't designed to look like bears <laughs> yeah they were bears and wolves are the same canine uh canine family regardless we need to get neil degrasse tyson on the phone to, to comment on this because they're basically saying that uh the the pemelites are responsible for Wolves evolving into dogs instead of, you know, humans selective breeding. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, human selective breeding gave us messed up breeds like the bulldog and stuff. But the Pimelites, uh, it even makes a point of saying, like, only some of them were infused with the Pimelites or whatever. But Well, I think that was because there was only six remaining Pimelites to, to pass on their essence or whatever. I mean that's cheating too. If you're gonna if you're gonna do selective breeding, you can't use souls. It's not fair. <laughs> that's that's against the uh, humane society's uh, <laughs> regulations. But point is, uh, that's where our dogs come from. Is that Pimelites' souls were inserted 
into the rectums of these wolves. <laughs> and <laughs> and they, that's that's how they were created. So uh, uh, that's why the that's why the chi love dogs and that, um, that's why we end up with a uh, the the chi being this ancient super android species that just cannot fight. They're they're not they're programmed, programmed not to. Yes, exactly. And that is obviously why, you know, Eric wants to change this. And in fact, there there's even a faction of the, the Chi that, you know, want to help the Animorphs fight the Erics to save humans, basically to save dogs is what they really care about. Oh, yeah. No, that was the best part. They, they really could care less about saving humans. But because we form such a um, such a bond with dogs and, you know, dogs don't do well in the wild anymore especially you know really purebred dogs uh yeah that's uh they need to save us to save them <laughs> yeah yeah and uh eric starts talking about how um the yurks have got this really convoluted plot that would allow them to kind of build some sort of computer device thing that is able to control all of the world's computers that's, it's basically that's... the plot of die hard 4 <laughs> that's, wow that's a good way of looking at it yeah that's what i would like to think to that die hard right 4 now. stole the plot from this book and and um he he mentions that they're they're doing this by uh using this thing called the pemolite crystal um which is both a crystal and a computer not that crazy in this universe <laughs> no seriously that's brought up there's a couple other instances of that in this book series yeah it's, it's it doesn't make a whole lot of sense it's it's hard sci-fi um <laughs> but it works and, it, and this turns into a whole final fantasy side quest here when eric asks them to retrieve the pedalite crystal so that i can rewrite the computer programming and then you know join your join your rpg group bring, bring me three pedalite crystals and, you know, two Phoenix Downs. And... I will give you a hundred gil. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, if they can, that's the, it's it's really weird how long this book actually takes to get to the main plot. But this is it. Get us this crystal and we can become the strongest allies you could ever hope for. Yeah, yeah. Everyone, I mean, well, not, not quite everyone, but Marco at least is super jazzed to have this powerful new ally that he thinks is really going to, um, turn the fight around for them. And, and you know, Eric even shows them that he has fooled the Yerks with his holograms and he's captured one of the Yerks. He shows them he's got it trapped in his his android body. And um, it's, it's, it's just cool, is what it is. It really is. Um, so Eric goes into, you know, where this crystal is being capped, which is this Matcom building, uh, which... Marco recognizes the name from, you know, his dad's little Yeah, yeah, he, he does recognize that. And this thing is like I don't even know how to describe it. It is it is way overkill for a security system. Um It's it's, like... it's the room from Mission Impossible if there were wires strung all over it too. Yeah, basically. They they can't touch the floor like something like two feet away from the wall. Um, and then there's wires running through it, and it's all pitch black. So it is, like, literally the hardest place you could ever think of to break into. Impossible for a human. If a photon animals. of light if a photon of light gets in that room, the alarm goes off. Yeah, yeah. 
And um, despite that, you would think that that would, you know, deter them. But, you know, Cassie mentions it can be done if we want to. This is actually a really badass Cassie moment where uh, they describe this huge security system, how impossible it is. There's nothing we can do. I don't even know how you guys are going to do this, blah, blah, blah. And uh, the other animals are like, you know, Ugh, what? I guess, okay, it sounds impossible, but we'll do it. And Cassie's just in the back of like, it can be done. Yeah. <laughs> it's cool. It's cool I imagine, yeah, I imagine, you know, she's got her arms crossed, her head down. Oh, it can be done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Could this um, be a turn in Cassie's character where she starts giving good ideas and becoming a cool character? We'll find <laughs> out. It's 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 possible. Um, and then we've got this other uh, this other Chi character named Maria, who's kind of the uh, voice of opposition for for the Chi who you know don't want to rewrite their programming and who don't want to resort to violence. They're uh, I guess what I would call conservative Chi, <laughs> right wing Chi. So she she's kind of over there, you know, yelling at everyone. You don't understand, yo. We can't do this. And um, she even she even attaches on to Marco and, um, and you know, is kind of tries to lay the guilt trip on him, saying, you know, would you end all that peace that we've had? Would you would you make us killers, too? And Marco yes, just... Yes, ma'am. Marco, yeah, Marco looks her in the face and just boldly says, yes, ma'am, I, I guess I would. <laughs> um, Which is true. They, you know, they try to manipulate you as a reader into what the answer should be. It's like, oh, well, maybe not, blah, blah, blah. But then Marco's right there, as the author to tell you, no, 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 this is a war. In war, these are the decisions you make, and it shouldn't even be a second thought. Right, and we're not really surprised, I guess, since uh, we know the depths of Marco's tenacity so far, and we know that he's going to do whatever it takes. And if it, you know, requires <laughs> uh, smacking down this uh, woman here, he's going to do it. Look, Maria. All right. <laughs> um. So they go back up the giant basement elevator, which I'm sure is super quiet. Just this giant room lifting off the ground. Yeah, I imagine uh, it just kind of makes a light kind of sound. <laughs> I'm glad you guys have us there to, to fill in the sound effects for the book. <laughs> Tingles. Uh, and when they get upstairs, of course, Rachel has broken through the front door and is, you know... Oh, in Grizzly in Morph. And this is awesome because I imagine... Um, Mr. King, who is is pinning or just kind of holding Grizzly Rachel here, I imagine it looking similar to uh, 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 Colonel Armstrong from uh, Full Metal Alchemist, you know, strong arm <laughs> yeah. alchemist. Except he's probably a much smaller man, and he's just like holding her. <laughs> right? Yeah, but it's a gigantic grizzly bear, and this regular-looking guy just kind of, hey, how's it going? And uh, this is another uh, good point here where Eric's, Eric explains about uh, how his father was able to subdue her without using violence. Um, and he mentions that their programming is so shitty that if, if an opponent, you know, were to outpower and, and attack, they absolutely cannot fight back. They have yeah, they to, would just let themselves die. Yeah, they have to sacrifice their lives if need be. Um, so... I guess it's not all fun and games playing with dogs for the chief. <laughs> yeah, and this is where we get into kind of the culmination of this little plot build up with uh, 
Marco talking about how Eric was at his mom's funeral. And it actually leads to Eric like about to reveal to Marco the secret of his mother. And Marco's like, yeah, no, it's it's already been dealt with. Right. And, uh, yeah. Eric's, Eric's kind of impressed by that. He's like, oh, you guys know a lot. Yeah. <laughs> You've come a long way. You've reached level 10. <laughs> in this maybe, maybe if you didn't play with dogs so much, Eric, you could be on the Animorphs level. That's right. Um, and, you know, for the most part, everyone is feeling pretty good right now about having the Chi on their side. Um, except for two of the most conservative members of the group here, Axe and Cassie. Um, and Axe mentions it's more about how he feels so put off by the fact that, you know, this is a species that is even older than Andalites. And he just, he doesn't feel right about giving the gift of violence to a species, you know? Which that goes back to uh, the whole plot with, you know, Ciro's kindness. And, of course, Axe is going to feel that way. Um, you know, changing or interacting with another species in a way that you feel is right, but you don't know the consequences of. I mean, think about this. This is actually Ciro's kindness too. you know, Electric Boogaloo. This is... <laughs> Axe, if if he makes a decision to help the Animorphs and give um, give the Chi this crystal to reprogram themselves, for all he knows, the only thing that stopped the Chi from like wiping out everyone in the galaxy is this programming. Oh yeah, they know? they could totally be making you know the next psychopathic murder unstoppable. Yeah. Army. So, Mitch, you should see this as the whole um, why Sierra's kindness could have happened because you were. You know, disbelieving of oh these parasites—they're obviously evil or whatever. But so far in this book, Eric has been nice and Mister King has been pleasant, and they showed him these—you know—these peaceful, loving race that they they hail from. This could have been exactly what the Yerks did to the Andalites and and convinced them to help them out. Dude, if they were smart, they would just do just Eric, and he would have to become like the Batman of the Chi. You know, he's the Dark but- Knight. But no, that's not even smart because <laughs> once you let just Eric, you think just Eric couldn't wipe out the entire Animorphs in less than a second? Oh no! I, given what he does at the end of the story here, I I know he could. <laughs> exactly. So there's no. This should be a bigger decision than they're actually letting on. Right. Yeah. Totally. But you know, Marco is so blinded by his anger at this point that it doesn't even matter. Um, and this is the point where he finally uh drops the info that the Yerks are going after his dad now. And that shuts everyone up. Because, I mean, what are you going to say to that? But seriously, just for another second, I want to read that book. The book where the Animorphs give the Chi the power to use violence, and they become a bigger enemy than the Yerks. And the Animorphs then have to team up with the Yerks to defeat the Chi. Boom. (laughs) You know what? That is what the Alternomorphs series should have been. Not stupid choose your own adventure. It should have been what if it should have been yeah, it should have been the spin off, like the the alternate timeline sort of books. Which they do throughout the main series anyway. Yeah. But you know, they could really, really uh tackle some different sort of things here. And then they could do different shippings. What Marco Rachel. That's already it. that's already done in <laughs> Megamorphs five or four or whatever. Uh 
Well, um, and then this is also where uh, everyone's going back to Cassie's barn as they're discussing this, uh, because she's obviously going to show them their next morph, the one that's going to brave this, you know, final boss fight castle <laughs> dungeon here. Uh, the bat. The bat. The rat. The, the batman. The monkey. No, it's uh, they're going bat, which is, I, I did not expect, uh, because, you know, it's... Brand new morph that's not on the cover. Yeah, you know what? Um, I'm figuring out that there's uh, oftentimes not one, but two featured morphs throughout uh, some of these books here. These that would make suitable books. cover animals. <laughs> so, <clears throat> just to, I don't know if it was a plot device to speed it along or to add a little tension to the uh Oh, it had already to, because the reason is so mission. stupid. <laughs> so. No, I, I like the reason. I think it's perfectly plausible, maybe. No, um, no, it's not. Here, let me explain this. Um, it, we cut to, you know, Marco hanging out at home. Um, and he's actually working on some math homework. When he gets a phone call uh, from Eric, and Eric asks him basically to do the mission tonight, right now, instead of they thought they had, you know, a week to prepare for for this and test out the bat morph. But, ooh, I like the sound of that. The Batmorph. To the Batmorph! Um, <laughs> Played by Ben Affleck. <laughs> uh, so they thought they'd have a lot more time, and this obviously comes as a uh, terrible, terrible surprise to him. He even mentions, uh, when he hangs up with uh, uh, Eric to call Jake, um, he, he says he thinks about not even calling Jake, not even saying that he got this call from Eric, but of course he's got to go through with it. So Eric, when they eventually do meet up, Eric thought, or Eric reveals that um, the Yerks are installing yet another new security feature to go on top of their already overkill security system. What more do they... What are, what are they going to add? Sharks with laser beams on their heads? No, I, I think there's tons of things you can do. Uh, but here's, here's why I don't think this is crazy. Because Eric is, you know, telling the Animorphs about this place and how you can get into it and what the security system is. Obviously, the Chi have been doing some uh, reconnaissance on it. Um, who knows the depths of how many people know about within the Chi on what they're planning on bringing the Animorphs into this, all this stuff. So I think someone along the lines could have been tipped off either by a member of the Chi who didn't want their race to become violent or just in Eric's initial uh, investigation into this um, security system. Someone could have seen that, oh, wow, this security system is getting a little attention. We better ramp it up. You know, I think there's a bunch of ways that could explain for the Yerks getting more um, uh, tense about, you know, this Pimlite crystal. Uh, yeah, and I, I, Eric also points out that, you know, <clears throat> they are still working on their supercomputer bomb thing. And every moment they have that Pimlite crystal in their clutches is just another moment closer to disaster so we get to this point where everyone's kind of voting on whether they should go or not um and marco is just an utter dick to cassie he really is because he says well i'm a go because i'm not gonna back down like some people might and cassie immediately is like of course i vote go screw you marco <laughs> i never back down and here at thought speak we really respect cassie and um 
you know, what she brings to the squad. So we didn't take, we, we didn't take, we didn't appreciate uh, Marco's tone with her. <laughs> well, you know, I'll give it to him. Even when, uh, Marco's books even managed to write Cassie better. That's just how good they are. Because <laughs> they're written by Michael Grant. <laughs> we don't know that, but, um, so they, 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 yeah, they're all in and they're going to the MatCom building. Um, which they have a little bit of trouble locating. But the plan is basically to go up to the roof to enter the building through this pipe while Eric sits in the bushes outside and watches. Because that's all he can do. <laughs> go get him, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I swear uh, I'm joining your RPG group right after this. Yeah. And uh, I, I think we can blaze through this, you know, crazy air duct antics. No, and this is—I thought this was actually kind of, uh, kind of dumb and pointless. Why didn't they all just go fly morph and fly straight down the pipe? Instead, we get this scene where sense. Marco and Axe again have to morph spiders to weave webs of silk down so that everyone else can climb down them and roach morph, and they all end up falling down the stupid pipe anyway. So it's—it was just kind of pointless. Um, and they, they end up crawling through the walls of this building and running from a rat that chases them over the furnace, which is another instance where Marco almost dies because as they're <laughs> crossing it, the, the furnace starts to turn on. But they make it through all that, all these obstacles so far, and they, they find their way into the secret dark room where the, the Pemolite crystal is located. And this is this is a little cooler. I mean, it, it actually goes through it pretty quick too. But they morph bat, and uh, they didn't even get a chance to try out this morph. So uh, through a very quick series of, you know, just gut instinct flying uh, through these wires and everything, uh, they they figure out their echolocation in bat morph, and uh, they all make it one by one to the center pedestal that has the uh, crystal. Yeah, oh, and one more thing I wanted to mention was that Axe uh, also reveals here that he can keep track of directions like he can with time, which is an oh, yeah. interesting Andalite feature. And he thought it was weird that they couldn't do that. Uh, yeah, just like he thought it was funny that they even uh, thought that <laughs> the G could be nuclear-powered. <laughs> yeah, but once <clears throat> they get to this crystal on the pedestal they run into a problem right yeah plan not so well thought out because they realize they have no way to get that crystal out of there in batmorph it's just they can't carry it they can't carry it in their mouth because they wouldn't be able to echolocate back through the wires and they can't they i, I thought bats had little feet you think they i might be able i to guess they them. must not be well you know what they are feet that are capable of like grabbing onto obviously like tree branches and whatever they hang i mean they hang by their feet so they've got to have a little bit of grip with them but i guess think, they're just but... not able to figure out how to grip the thing with their feet or maybe it's a little bit too big i don't remember how big it is i know well, it's it can small. fit in their mouth so can't be that big right well either way they are stuck on this pedestal in this super dark room and they're kind of screwed and they know that they have to battle their way out yeah and this was beforehand eric had told that part of the security system is the fact that uh a elite team of uh hork are guarding so these aren't just normal run-of-the-mill yorkpool hork these are battle-hardened you know super trained probably on steroids hork yeah it's literally the 
most overkill security system. I don't know why they need to add another layer. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I thought this was a little strange. So they have room around this pedestal to all, you know, four of, or all five of them, all four of them, uh, go to humans and Andalite. Well, yeah, and the way I see that is, you know, they're all demorphing from bat, and they're probably sitting on top of this pedestal, and as they're growing larger, they're, they're going to fall off of it, and when they hit the floor, that should trigger the alarm system, so I'm imagining the alarm starts going off, although it doesn't mention the alarm until they actually bolt for the door, which they manage to use, they get to the wires, uh, find yeah. through echolocation. And, uh, yeah, everyone's in battle morph, and they're running out, and they make it out, and uh, the alarm's going off, and they, <laughs> they they look like they're about to make it out, but um, they meet with over 40 controllers. Like I said, there are, there are two dozen uh, Hork-Bajir, yeah, and uh, 20-some human controllers, all with guns. Yeah, the, Hork- or the human controllers have flat-out you know, salt rifles. Right. So, it's it's not a good not situation. <laughs> but luckily, luckily, we get this lead controller lady uh, stepping forward to kind of deliver the evil monologue. And wow, I'm so glad it wasn't conveniently Visor 3 once more. Oh, that would have been terrible. <laughs> it really would have. Um, but we've got this other, this controller lady who's, who steps forward and very conveniently has the human controllers with the guns step back. Because, you know, they're afraid to shoot them if they accidentally hit the crystal, which... Oh, how great would it have been if right as they're, you know, had this lady taking charge and, and telling them not to shoot and all that stuff. Just outside through the big front glass and everything, you see the blade ship slowly come down and visit three steps and says, what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> that would not have been great. Is there a security breach? I don't know why they couldn't have just had the the human controllers shoot, you know, everyone who wasn't carrying the crystal. But I guess they don't don't particularly know know that it's in uh, Marco's hand? It must be in Marco's hand at this point, right? Yeah, they should just have... Yeah, it's in Mark. Marco's holding it in his his fist. I don't know why they just didn't have, you know, non-lethal weapons or something, just if you're worried about that. I don't know. Their security system has so many flaws, uh, and it's so unnecessary in some points. Here's here's my thing. If all these human controllers are there and Hork-Bajir and everything, don't just send in Hork-Bajir. Send in humans to be, you know, slaughtered in a distraction, and, you know, maybe they'll get one or two punches in or something as well. Just send everybody. You would have overpowered them, probably. Well, it doesn't even really matter because we get one of the bloodiest, uh, most gruesome, gory battles since The Stranger, really. This the, is the one of the blood. most memorable battles I can you know, think of. I mean, this is one I remember from being a kid. Marco immediately gets a hole in his stomach and he's just like, I looked down, I saw the gorilla's guts, my guts, and screamed. And yeah. There's there's a lot of screaming here. Yeah, there's there's I mean there's an, animorphs they can't even tell who it is, but they're all just screaming and asking for help, and no one's there to help them, and it's just it's pretty horrifying. And I yeah I thought it's just uh, it elevates the series to another level that they continue to hit from now on with some of the battles. Uh, yeah, exactly, and um, you know it's not going well for him, but uh, Marco's about to die as well. For yeah, he gets stabbed in the heart. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. So he's bleeding out. I don't know how he's not dead instantly, but uh, the series must go on. And he manages to kind of crawl across the floor, even though, you know, he's got a hole in his chest and a hole in his stomach at this point. But he's crawling across the floor, and Eric's outside, uh, I guess, the window here, um, just kind of looking in, like, hey, what up? <laughs> and You guys uh, done yet? <laughs> Is Visor 3 in there? Uh, Marco manages to get this crystal to Eric somehow. I don't know. He says he punches through the glass. Yeah, he punches through the glass, and, and Eric it says he Eric prizes his hand open. Yeah, that's that's a little far-fetched, but Why? it happens. How's that far-fetched? It is so far-fetched. Dude, Marco should be dead with all these holes in him, and then he yeah, manages he's to a, crawl across the human. floor and punch through a sheet of glass. But he's not a human. He's a gorilla. A gorilla can take a beating compared to a human. I guess, but well, whatever. It happens. He he gets Eric the uh, the crystal, and just kind of it's it's a it's a hard cut here because he he sort of blacks out, but then he's he's awoken immediately. Though he says it's much later, and uh, he's, he's told to demorph, which he instantly does. So it's like he. He must have been on the verge of death for quite a while. Well, it says... No, no, check it out. So he... um, It says that he started morphing after Eric got the crystal. Before he blocks out. He, like, starts... Oh, I gotta go back to Marco. So maybe he started to go back and that healed a little bit of his wounds, but not not very many. Because he still dies after Eric takes care of all the uh, people and the Hork-Bajir and everything. He still dies, and then Eric shocks him back awake. And then he wakes up a few moments later. So I, I assume right. Eric did some a uh, some minor, um, you know, repairs as far as bandaging or cauterizing the wounds or something. Or oh, I don't know, dude. I, I some think, microsurgery. I think, Mar- I think Marco just literally woke up and demorphed, and he's surrounded by all of uh, all of his friends, the team who's all. Alive. Well, Eric, Eric can do some kind of surgery because he it says he reattached Axe's arm. Oh yeah. <laughs> so. That's pretty awesome. So Axe, like, lost an arm in that battle. Right. But uh, although everyone is there and you would think that this is a happy moment, Eric is actually sitting nearby crying um, because, as they reveal, he managed to rewrite his programming almost instantly by having this crystal. How? Doesn't matter. And kills all of the the 40-some controllers that were there in 10 seconds flat. That's how long I, Rachel says it takes. I want to read that book. Yeah. Um, killing 42 people in 10 seconds is like... I can't even imagine it. You know, I bet it was like the uh, the scene at the beginning of uh, X-Men 2 with Nightcrawler. He's just bam, boom, bam, boom, bam, boom. <laughs> no, dude, it's, it's like a anime where it's just <laughs> he like splits into 20 little multi-images and they all cut through the controllers. I don't know. It's a lot of killing in a very short amount of time but Eric, who's obviously depressed about this, says that he's changed his programming back and he'll never fight again. Well, which actually kind of uh, puts them back at the beginning of this book as far as plot because you know this whole thing was to try to get the chi to be fighting allies on their side but instead they just get informants 
Right. Yep. And um, the last scene of the last chapter of this book, the last scene, um, I I have negative feelings about this. It is. Uh, yeah, it's the one part of this book that really kind of falters a little worse. We've got Mark and Marco and Jake taking uh, Jake's dog Homer to the beach and this is where they they have a little talk about what they should do and ultimately they decide that they are going to throw the pemelag crystal into the ocean and that's that's the end yeah let's let's just let the dogs handle the fate of the world that's that's fine. right yeah. and it's very sentimental and it's very i mean it's it makes sense for the rest of the book but it's a little over the top melodramatic yeah it, you know they could have why wouldn't they keep it i mean Give it to Axe. He can do something with it. Anytime he goes near a computer, the plot advances. <laughs> As I said to you yesterday, uh, when we were talking about this, um, this is basically like them getting the morphine cube back and throwing it in the ocean. It's like yeah, you just it... got you just got a major weapon against the Yerks. This is almost as good as if the Chi were going to fight, and you just you threw it away. Right. I mean, they could have done it. They could have buried it in the ground, you know, and made a treasure map. <laughs> and that would have been a better better choice than throwing it out into the water, where it's probably going to wash up on shore, and a controller's probably going to find it again anyway. Yeah, just hold on to it just so you know that the Yurks don't get it, you know? <laughs> yeah, or hide it in plain view, or just a number of anything they could have done. I mean, we could have used this thing in... in uh, future books, even. I don't know. You know if they what? Do, they could have but... here. Check this out. They could have been just as sentimental uh, with this ending and wanting to wrap it up with the dogs and everything. If Jake would have made a collar for Homer that he could fit the crystal into, um, that would be so... awesome. But Jake would never do it because he wouldn't put Homer at risk. <laughs> That's true. Oh, and I guess it would be kind of dumb to have the crystal. In his walking, house? <laughs> walking around Tom all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's not a very Well, you hide idea. it in plain sight. That's that's the best way to hide things. But yeah, but, you know, like on a urn that's on your mantle or something. Not <laughs> anything. Anything would be better than what they did. But... Yeah, but, you know, that's the ending of the book. Um, and that's it. That is book 10. Thus concludes the android. Shall okay. we review... Let's review. I want to go first. Okay. Oh, wait. No, I don't want to go first. You go first. Oh, dang. <laughs> All right. Well, I will just say that um, this this book has only good things and not bad things to add. Um, we have we have so many Marco deaths or near-death experiences. That's really Marco's role throughout this series is... He's the one who's always going to get the short end of everything. And he's going to die or going to come very close to dying a lot. And this book gives us uh, a couple of really awesome scenes of that. Um, we've added uh, two new species. Um, three, if you were really paying attention. And the Chi are awesome. They're, they're just a really fun, cool sci-fi um, creature. And I especially like that they're dogs, because I love dogs. I've got two. Um, there's so many awesome scenes as well. I mean, we've got, you know, Marco 
almost getting eaten by a bird as a spider. Uh, the scene between Marco and his dad is great. It's it's um, good backstory. Uh, even even subtler moments like Marco telling off Maria. Um, it's just really well written, really well done. At no point was I reading this book and felt like, oh, yawn, what's going to happen next? Um, and the final battle scene, amazing. My only complaint, I guess, is when you do hit this end here, uh, as some of these Animorphs books tend to do, they get this wrap-up-itis where they have to wrap everything up really quickly. And I would have liked to see a little bit more of that final battle, uh, particularly of of Eric's side of it, but I'm sure a lot of fans would disagree with that and say that it's perfect. And that's fine. <laughs> I think if it were a TV show or a movie, uh, we'd have to get some sort of glimpse of it, even if it is just a little flashback. Um, and then, again, the only bad thing I can really say is that that ending is very weak and kind of stupid, where they throw out the Pemolite crystal after going through so much trouble and after everybody almost dying, they might as well have just kept the stupid thing. Um, and, you know, there are parts of it that might not make a whole lot of sense, like that convoluted Yerk plotline that's the plot from Die Hard 4, but even the stuff that doesn't really make sense is still awesome, and it passes just for that. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I full-on love this book. So I'm going to give it my rating right now. Um, and as you can tell, it's it's all positive. I love this book. I think it adds so much to the canon, and um, it's definitely required reading. <laughs> For that, I give this book a 5 out of 5 Dayang Traders. Good reference. Um, so, I agree with you completely. Um, and I even disagree with some of your bad stuff. I'm surprised you gave it a 5 out of 5 when you had stuff you didn't like, but... Uh, that's that's fine. That's on par with Mitchell's rating system. Everything makes it. Everything makes up for it, though. I mean, all the good makes up for that tiny, tiny, tiny little bad ending chapter there. Yeah. So I I actually disagree with some of your bad stuff. I think um, the Yerks plot, even though it's pretty generic and everything, I think it's something that could happen with how powerful they've described this uh, Pemlite crystal to be. And uh, you know, the other things you mentioned with the security system and having to rush um, rush all that forward because they might add another layer to it. Uh, I could I could actually see scenarios where that would uh, that would happen within this universe and it could play out realistically. Um, so I, I actually disagree with those. So I, I you know I overall love this book. It's one I you know remember extremely well from reading when I was younger and I, I remembered it because it's so memorable uh, memorable. Uh, the battle scene at the end is horrifying and traumatic and, and really sets the tone for battles that are coming up. Um, the main plot, even though it's just basically talking about Eric, uh, introduces such a cool new species to the universe that's not just a throwaway species. It's integral to um, going forward with the series. And it, it drops a lot of references to things that are coming uh, in the universe and, and going to be important plot points. So overall, I, I love the interactions. Um, once again, just being a Marco book, it's written spectacularly. It's funny. Uh, the dialogue is on point. Everything's running at, you know, top performance. It's, it's just, just great writing, great plot. Um, so I'm actually going to give it, 
Uh, not a perfect five out of five, just because the only thing that I think it lacks is um, just a really iconic moment or a really not, you know, important part of the mythology because it does add a lot to it. But I think it lacks um, just being a, such a important part of the series. Like, while I wouldn't say you could skip this book at all, you know, Eric is the biggest thing that this adds. And it just it just doesn't have, like I said, it doesn't have that iconic sense that some of the other books uh, that are exceptional do. So this is a very, 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 very high four out of five for me. It's it's just right on the edge, but it's not a full five out of five. Uh, but very high four out of five uh, plague pimelites, or dire pimelites is what I'll call them. Uh, <laughs> Four to five dire pimelites, and uh, <laughs> and well, yeah, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. I, I, this is one I will revisit just for fun and enjoyment. Easily. You know, you know why I like it so much? Um, because it's Marco books are not just Marco books. Um, Marco books are really more about his his overall family drama. They're about his dad and they're about his mom, and all of it is just. It's good. It's good stuff. Um, Marco's dad is a character who we're going to get to know more and more. And we actually care about him. That's not something that you could say with the rest of the characters. While their family members do become a little bit more important throughout the, the later on in the series, they never really reach the uh, memorability of Marco and his, his family drama. Um, you know, like, we met we met Cassie's parents uh, briefly, um, and you know Rachel had her dad drama for one book, and he gets mentioned every so often. Jake's parents are hardly ever mentioned. Most of his family drama revolves around Tom, um, and Mark's or Mark. Why do I keep calling him Mark? <laughs> Marco's Marco Kapischke. <laughs> Marco's uh, dad and mom eventually later on. Uh, are just two amazingly well-written, um, interesting characters that we're constantly wanting to read more about. So there you go. There you have it. Yeah. So we both obviously really like this one, and hopefully, uh, hopefully you did as well because this is definitely one of the better beginning books. It's. I it's I excellent. would love to hear somebody who doesn't like this book. What I mean, what what could you even say? I don't know. Stupid I dare things. You. I dare you to come out of the woodworks and well, I didn't like contribute Marco's to our haircut. show. I didn't like yeah. that they changed the model's hair <laughs> on the cover. Yeah. Dude, oh, wow. We should track down the uh, the kids that did these models. <laughs> Who modeled for the covers of the Animorphs books? We need to find them. Uh, they're still about doing things because uh, apparently I just saw, I don't know where I saw it. I think it was on Facebook or something, but um, the model who did Rachel uh, she just did some, I guess just for fun, cover of that Frozen song, Let It Go or Let Go or... What? Sure you mean the the actual model did a, a video? The model of Rachel from the covers, she did, uh, she uploaded a YouTube video of her doing a cover of the main song from the movie, the Disney movie Frozen. Does she still look like Rachel? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't watch it. I, I just saw it mentioned. Oh, um, wow. So we should track that down. Yeah. And then track her down, and then track yeah. down the rest of them. And then get her on the show. I assume they're all best friends. 
So, still. <laughs> they probably never even met each other. That's true. There's no... Well, some of those front covers, the Unless... Megamorphs ones. No, 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 no. These, these books came out, like, every, you know... Uh, every couple of months, so they were they would really have no reason to. No, I'm uh, saying the Megamorphs covers that use them. A lot of those are them standing in a group, and you could have photoshopped them all together, but I'm sure they wouldn't be that big of a deal to bring them all in. Hmm. Yeah, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, that would be really interesting to try and get the the models from the the book covers and the actors from the TV show, and, uh, and talk to them. Possibly the Queen herself, Michael Grant. <laughs> yeah yeah it would be great to uh speak to both of them <laughs> i don't think ka or i don't think uh Catherine applegate will come on the show if she's to listen to a couple of these episodes <laughs> I, I would think that she just has better things to do with her time like right since she's constantly releasing books. award-winning books yeah yeah oh man I wish I, I wish I had her dedication. Well, we just uh, we just have a single email this week, so um, oh good. I want to bring that up and read it aloud for you guys. See what happens when you contribute. You get you get things done for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is from our regular contributor Heather L. Haskett, um, who mentioned a thing that we were on about with the secret, uh, the last review we did. Uh, where we said that the boys of this high school or this middle school uh, are psychopaths because they keep trying to kill all these animals. Um, well, she had a particular life story that um, contradicted our our saying that this was a <laughs> our weird Our assessment event. of these people yeah. being sociopaths? Yeah, she said it's, it's well, not that it's sociopaths, but that, that's weird. Um, so she says, uh, here, she says in an email, I'm listening to the latest episode right now and uh, on the bit about the students at the Animorph School being so abusive. Well, I can say from personal experience that I have seen boys, and I say again, boys, act like total douches during science classes when I was in high school. Especially during one time in anatomy class where our teacher had caught some mice on one of those sticky paste paper thingies. Uh, well, while he goes to get the solution to get the mice off of the pad safely, two, two idiots decide to do it themselves. I never heard any animal scream in agony from these little mice as the boys pull at the mice by their tails and you see their skin get pulled off of their body. I still get bad dreams about that. So yeah, in short, boy, <laughs> so yeah, in short, boys suck and are cruel. So in that, KA had exactly right on their behavior. Well, wow, yeah, that that is uh, pretty uh, pretty effed up, um, definitely. And I mean, I work in a in an elementary school. And if I saw any students, you know, exhibit these kind of behaviors, uh, that would be a concern for Whatever. sure. You're, you're probably teaching them that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but I'm, I'm not, I don't know what the point of the email is, I guess. Um, I'm not doubting that this happens. I'm just saying that this is not good behavior and it's, yeah. I think we can all <laughs> agree on that. I think, uh, I think just in the last episode, we had said that that was on uh, that was borderline unrealistic of the book because these. Did we say that? <laughs> well, I think we were kind of implying that in the sense that anytime the animorphs are around kids from their school, the kids are trying to kill whatever animals near them. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> well that is kind of uh, something the book series does. Yeah, I guess, but I mean, it's not far fetched to think that that could happen. 
I know it could. <laughs> We've lived that life where <laughs> we were turning into animals and classmates tried to kill us. Right. Well, I am uh, sorry that Heather had to witness that. And then call us out on it. Thanks, Heather. <laughs> Thank you for sharing your traumatic experiences with thousands of fans. <laughs> well, technically, Coleman, you shared it with them, so you're the dick. I, that's my burden to bear. <laughs> um, so is that the end of the email? That's it. That's the only email we got this week. I mean, we got some comments, but it's still pretty, uh, you know, we just released the episode, like you said, a couple days ago, so... We haven't gotten a ton yet, but I no, think we'll get a um, few more. There's, there's one comment, and I might as well read it because it's fairly short, and I actually like the first part. <laughs> this is from uh, Narrative Casualty. Cool name. Cool band name. Over on Reddit, right? Yes, this is on Reddit. Um, who says, uh, I'm glad you guys brought up how the title is never really given an explanation, The Secret. That always bugged me, and it was the first thing I thought about when I saw this post before I heard the podcast. Yeah. We wondered about that. Uh, the Secret, what it referred to. Um, Still wondering. And then it goes on to say, on a more serious note, I'm disturbed by how much you guys hate the book. Um, Bit of an overstatement. I I wouldn't necessarily say I hate the book. Coleman hates the book. I don't hate the book. Um, And then he says, for instance, you two forgot about what was in the book and took bare bones notes. Yeah, kind of true, I suppose. Well, you didn't. I mean, I took, I I stopped taking notes because, um, let's just say that it was not the greatest day at work, and we had to record, and, you know, I was pretty busy, so it wasn't just a matter of the book was tedious, but it's kind of just a rush to get in there and review the book in general, so. Well, and really what my, my summaries are about is just writing down the general plot overview, the, the outline, the summary, and as it just so happens, um, there's there's not a whole heck of a lot of plot involved in the book. So I had these really broad notes because that's just kind of how the story flowed. It was a very broad story. I generally get pretty detailed with my notes. Maybe we should uh, start taking pictures of them and sharing them online. I have mine all in Evernote is where I type them. So I don't know if there's ever a way to share them with the fans. Although I don't really want everyone reading my notes. Um, Yeah, I usually usually don't even read all my notes um, because a lot of the things are just funny little things I pick up on or... Things that might not be interesting in the podcast, but I wrote it down anyway, so. Right, and then um, Narrative Casualty goes on to say, Don't get me wrong, it wasn't the best book in the series. You can say that again, Narrative Casualty. But if you're putting so little effort into this book, I can see you guys giving up completely when you reach the crappy filler books that add even less to the overall story, go wildly off track, and have so much bastardization of the characters that it's completely obvious when the books are ghostwritten, even if you didn't know where the there were ghostwriters. Uh, first of all, it's a large assumption to make that because of this one book, we are going to do a crappy job in the future. So, uh, go F yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, I, I do not support telling, uh, our listeners, our fans who have graciously given us their time, uh, for entertainment purposes. No, to, uh, no. When, so, when someone's calling out my work ethic based on one one episode of a podcast of a book that's frankly not that good yeah I said. yeah you know what though actually he has a point you know maybe we should uh charge a little less for episodes since we're putting less effort oh wait the, uh, <laughs> the podcast is free we're <laughs> doing this right. all what, in our own what, time for your what entertainment is, what does anyone have to complain about when we're still putting out an hour and a half worth of content <laughs> no 
No, it's fine. We we hear your cries of dismay and anger, and uh, we'll maybe do something about it. Who knows? You know, we're we're gonna review the books, and um, we're gonna do it in our own way. And we are going to we are going to say when a book is frankly not as good as some of the other books, and everybody's got their uh, their nostalgia goggles on. <laughs> but that's what we're that's what I'm trying to do is is not review this series with that's definitely not why goggles. we started this podcast to just praise the series outright you know we're gonna call it like we see it and as far as the future books go i'm really looking forward to the ghost written ones i know there'll be some bad ones uh but i don't think that they'll be like this last book where like i said i've said it again it was just tedious to get through it was a pretty you know just boring nonsensical plot well you know what my biggest complaint really with the secret is is that it wasn't bad enough (laughs) yeah we couldn't get fun out of yeah no no no. i i mean i am looking forward to getting to the point where we read books that we genuinely hate because they're so bad because they're either poorly written or because the story just makes no sense now the secret story it, it had a story it made sense it wasn't particularly entertaining to older readers but, you know, it had its 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 moments. And that's why I only ended up giving it a two. Um, if I had truly hated it, I'd have given it a one. I can't wait to read or to encounter our first one book. I think there's going to be a lot of books that maybe you possibly give a one that I give a higher score because I find some other enjoyment out of it. Because I can find enjoyment. And I'm trying to be a little harsher with my reviews than, than you are, but... Um... I think you'll be surprised at the books that I end up liking, uh, especially a couple that I know the majority of the fan base hates and I actually get a kick out of. So Yeah, I, it seems like there are books that, you know, are the untouchable ones that everyone loves. But then there are a vast majority of the series where people feel different ways about them. And uh, we're going to we're going to bring that to the table. <laughs> we're not going to sit here and say everyone is good. Spoilers, I'm giving Megamorphs number two a six. <laughs> uh, Alright, well, um, we've angered enough people for the evening. What yeah. say we uh, what say we sign off? Yeah, now that we've built up a decent sized fan base, um, let's see how many let's see how, how many we can lose each week. Whatever. We're in a basement elevator going straight up. <laughs> to the stars. <laughs> <laughs> Till the howlers get us. Um, Radio. So. Next time we are reading uh, Animorphs Book Eleven, The Forgotten, and I am super excited to talk about The Forgotten. I'd almost forgotten how excited I was to talk about it. I'm excited to get into this uh, unknown territory of teenage books. You know, the eleven through nineteen. Uh, there's a couple interesting storylines. There's some new stuff. <clears throat> there's one or two books I haven't read, so excited for that um well yeah you know this is this is season two of uh animorphs tv show <laughs> yeah and not the eight animorphs tv show but the animorphs book series tv show uh <laughs> but anyway so thanks for listening you can find more ways to listen to the show by going on thoughtspeakcast.com follow us on twitter at morphcast or like us on facebook send us your thoughts on an upcoming episode or just how much you hate us by emailing us at <laughs> ThoughtSpeakCast at gmail.com. Hear that, Heather? We said it! (laughs) And we'll read it on the air. Finally, reviews on iTunes extremely help out the show. Anything you can do on there 
uh, either by just giving us stars or writing a short little review. Whatever you want to do, uh, it helps spread the word of the show. And that's Please, the mer- most narrative casualty. Get on iTunes. Write that review we need. Narrative casualty, I dare you to give us a review. <laughs> as long as it's a five star. <laughs> yeah, I don't break that record. Uh, but anyway, so thank you for listening. Uh, we really do appreciate every single fan, whether you like us or not. So we will see you next week. Peace out. Have a good one.